Blessings to you, my friend. This is Pastor McGee with Empowerment Ministries Christian Center, and you're listening to Empower the City Podcast. I pray today that your hearts are blessed, minds renewed, and you are infused with the passion to serve God like never before. Blessings to you, and enjoy the message. We're going to start out in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 20, verses number 14. Here is the context. This is a uh, discourse, a dialogue between Jonathan and his friend David. Um, what's happening here, Jonathan's father is the king, King Saul. And, um, but Jonathan knows, although he's next in line, God's hand is not upon his life to become the next king. It's upon David's life. So he's going to have a conversation with David that basically says, uh, spare my life and spare the life of my children that come behind me. B- because this is the common thing. If, if chat, wave your hand, chat. If Chad is the king and I'm the next king behind him, um, it is a political move for me to not only wipe Chad out, but everybody that's connected with him, so my throne would be secure. So Nick got to go. Nina gone. What's her name? Kiari? She gone. <laughs> so, so he's going to have this dialogue, and let's take a look at this. Uh, verses 14 says, But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's, kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. So he says, once you become king, protect my life. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So not only me, but my family as well. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. 16 says, so Jonathan made a covenant. Now this, this is what he's doing. He's making a covenant, but look at what the covenant is based on. He's making a promise, so, John, excuse me, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And John and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of, somebody shout, it's out of love. This is not duty, this is not obligation. Because of what, because of the friendship that we have out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, when we get to 2 Samuel chapter number 9, here's the context. Um, Jonathan is dead at this particular time. His father is dead, and David is now securely on the throne, and pretty much everybody in his lineage, in Saul's lineage, is dead except for, for sure, this one guy, Mephibosheth. So David, David wants to fulfill his obligation. If you can give me a little volume just in these monitors right here, I'm having problems hearing myself. Um, David is fulfilling his obligation to Jonathan, and the Bible declares, then king, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still, that's good, thank you, a son of Jonathan, he is lame. Somebody shout, he's lame. He's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. Verse 5 declares, so King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Makir, son of Amiel, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your... Why y'all laughing at that? (laughs) Y'all so silly. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you, this is so good, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down, watch this, 
and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? For the next couple of weeks, we're going to dialogue um, concerning this, this thought, living the unashamed life. And I'm so excited about all that God has shown me. And um, I, I don't know if this message is going to be good for you or good to you. All I know is it has blessed my socks off with my shoes on already. Uh, the things that God is, is giving me, um, it, it, it has caused a level of freedom in, in my spirit and in my soul like never before. And I am praying that you will experience that same liberty, um, what God's going to do in you and through you for the next couple of weeks. Can you say amen to that? So I want to start off by talking about a cultural expression that's known as honor shame or an honor shame culture. Um, this particular cultural expression is seen vividly in most Eastern cultures, but there are glimpses of it um, in the West. And, and this is what an honor shame culture uh, says. It says, when you do certain things that are in line with the group, there's a certain level of esteem that's given to you. When you choose not to do things that are, to do things that are contrary to the norm of what we consider the norm in the group, then you were kind of demoted in the eyes of the people. And, and, and the real, the, if, when it's done in a healthy way, it, it targets trust and trustworthiness. It's about trust and trustworthiness. Here's another thought about the, an honor-shame culture. Can be used as an effective tool to encourage behaviors that support the values of the group. And, and so this is the gist. If this is the value, if, if this is the standard right here, then things on this side are more likely to shy away from those things because they bring myself and my family disgrace. Whereas these things are more likely to do them because these are the things that bring honor within the group that I'm, I'm connected to. So give me an example. Um, Ephesians chapter number five, verse number 25. The Bible declares, husbands, love your wives. Somebody shout, love your wives. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So this should be like a cultural norm, or I should say a cultural expectation within this house that brothers ought to love their own wives. Can somebody say amen to that? Not love women, but love your own wife. So if this brother right here was in this ministry and he made a commitment to his wife, let's say 30 years ago, and, and they're now in their senior years, maybe he's late 60s, maybe he's in his early 70s, but nevertheless, this guy would be esteemed within this church, within this culture, because he has a body within cultural norms that brothers ought to love their wives. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So he would be esteemed, but this brother right here, there's a certain level of shame that he would feel, and the reason he would feel that shame is because he's doing things that violate what we are establishing should be a cultural expectation or a cultural norm. So he's going to feel a little distance from, from me. Okay, so as an example, um, I'm late, and it's a board meeting, and my wife rode home with me, and um, he volunteers. He said, hey, hey, Pastor, I'll take, I'll take Lady McGee home. I'd be like, no. Nah. I'm going to get my brother to take him. 
So he'd be like, man, what's wrong with me? You, you, well, based on violation of cultural expectation, the community doesn't trust you. It doesn't devalue you as a person, but the community doesn't hold you in high regard. So there's a certain level of responsibilities you just won't get because we can't trust you. Because if you're willing to do that, what else are you willing to? Okay. So, so what I'm demonstrating here is what's known as objective shame. Objective shame. Which causes an unpleasant emotion about past events or actions. So, in essence, um, this brother here probably going to feel bad because he, he's currently expecting, man, pastor won't even trust me to take his wife home. You're absolutely right, brother. So he's feeling a little bad because of his previous behavior. I don't quite trust you. That, that's objective shame. It's a real thing. It can be a, when it's used in the right context, it can be a proper tool. Y'all bear with me. This is an introductory lesson. I want to lay a good foundation. Objective shame is not what I want to talk about today. I actually want to talk about subjective shame. Subjective shame causes unpleasant emotions based on one's self based on actions or events of the past. So, so here's the difference. Objective shame says what I did was wrong. Subjective shame says because what happened or what I did, I am wrong. Say it again. Objective shame what I did was wrong. Subjective shame says, I am wrong. Uh, the, one, of, one of the authors that I'm reading and that's helping me with this subject, her name is Benet Brown, a phenomenal speaker, really liking her work. She wrote a book called The Power of Vulnerability, and she uses this example. Um, in the example, she says that a teacher uh, is passing out papers, and she has one paper left, and the teacher says, can, can I see this for a second? The teacher says, I have one paper left. Who does this belong to? There's not a name on this paper. Who does this paper belong to? And, and so she says, um, she says Susie, but anybody named Susie in here? What about Shaquita? Any Shaquita? So Shaquita raises a hand. Shaquita, I am not surprised. Are you guys surprised that Shaquita did not put her name on her paper? Shaquita, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put your name on your paper. And she spells out loud. S-T-U-P-I-D. That is your name. Now, how many of you parents ready to fight? Oh, Lord. Look at, look at our members. Look at the members. Look at the saints. Going to go to... <laughs> About to go to school and act up. Okay, listen, listen to me. I need y'all to hear me. I need y'all to hear me. Because as a parent, and, I, and I'm with you, I'm with you. I, 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 would, I would be extremely upset if a teacher did that to one of my children. But this is what, as parents, one of the things we have failed to really realize. Because depending upon how Shaquita viewed this situation determines if you will ever hear it or not. 
Watch this. If she looks at it like this, like, yeah, I forgot, and I should have wrote my name on the paper, but, but, but I didn't, but I didn't deserve the way she approached me. I feel humiliated, but I know I'm not stupid. That's objective shame. Objective shame says what I did was wrong. Watch this. What I did was wrong. I forgot to put my name on the paper. What she's doing is wrong, but I am not who she says I am. That's objective shame. So if she feels like that, she's going to come home smiling. Mama, you ain't going to believe what my teacher did to me. That's objective shame. But if she experiences it subjectively, well, she takes the piece of paper. And she says, I guess I am stupid. I hate myself. If she embraces that subjectively, although you love her, you actually never know about it. And the only reason you will have some idea that something is wrong is because she's going to come home sad and broken. But she's not going to tell you because she identifies herself as stupid. And if I think I'm stupid, I don't want to talk about my stupid self. Subjective shame. I am challenging you guys with this thought today that subjective shame is one of the key weapons of the devil. Holy Spirit convicts you about what you did and he says that was wrong. The devil, he doesn't bring conviction. He brings condemnation, and he says, you are wrong. This has been his role from the very beginning. Revelation chapter number 12, verses 10 says, the accuser of the brother, let me read it from the beginning. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser. Somebody shout accuser. This is his responsibility to look at you and not just say what you did was wrong, but you are wrong. The accuser of the brethren and sister who, watch this, who accuses them before our God. How often does he do it? Continuously, day and night, trying to highlight not what you did, but who you are. So let me relate this to the text. Second Samuel chapter number nine, verses number seven. David is trying to find... Um, an offspring of Jonathan because he made a promise with Jonathan that I'm going to take I'm going to spare your life and the lives of all of your children that come after you everybody's dead except for this one guy we know Mephibosheth and the scripture declares verse number nine excuse me verse number seven he, when, when Mephibosheth comes into his present he says don't be afraid David said to him for I sh I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore somebody shall restore that's good. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather's soil, and you will always eat at my table. This is good. He says, what was taken from you that was rightly yours, I'm going to give it back to you. All the land, all the possessions, it is, it is yours. Look what he's going to say. Verses 9, then the king summoned Ziba, saw a steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to form the land for him and bring in the crops. He says, not only am I giving you land, I'm giving you your own servants. Watch this. I'm giving you the house and the maids to clean it. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Verse number 11, then Ziba said to, king, to the king, your servant, we will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Look, look at this. This is Bible. Like one what, y'all? 
you don't even understand how powerful that is. He gives him land, he gives him servants, and then he adopts him as one of his sons. For the rest of his life, he sits at the king's table like one of the sons. This is great, but this is Mephibosheth's expression. I hear what you're saying, but what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, this is how Mephibosheth feels about himself. The question is, why do you feel this about yourself? We got to go back to chapter number four, verses number four, where the Bible declares he was lame in both feet. Now watch this. He was five, somebody shout five years old. Five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What happens? Um, his nurse is holding him. She hears the news that Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, has died and his grandfather's son has both been killed in battle. The Bible declares his nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. So watch this. Five years old, the nurse has this baby boy, and she hears the news that the father is dead, the grandfather is dead, their lives could be in danger. She is uh, uh, in a hurry trying to get things together, accidentally drops him, and he becomes lame in both of his feet. Five years old, there's at least 20-year difference between uh, chapter number nine and chapter number four. So let's just say 20, 25 years later, he still defines himself by what happened to him. And I'm telling you guys today that there are some of you all, God is calling you a name that you're not calling yourself. Many of you all are defining yourself right now based on not who God says you are, but you are defining yourself based on what happened. What happened to you? Some of you fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, high school, college, First marriage, the divorce, flunked out of school, failed school, dropped out of all, all, all the things that happen. And nobody actually really knows that it's affecting you, but you know because you've actually lost passion and fire on the inside of yourself. Amen. He goes to live in a place that's called Lodabar. In Hebrew, it means uncertain place. Just like a wonder, whatever. It, it, it's a place in our slang. It's called, it is what it is. That's what Lodabar means. It is what it is. So whatever happens, it just happens. And God has a plan. He has a design for your life. That's why I'm so excited about class two. Man, if you hadn't been in class two in the growth track, you need to be there after service today. Because God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, before you were born, before you were formed in your brother's belly, before you came out of a womb, I had already ordained you to be a prophet unto the nation. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, he doesn't make mistakes. There's no such thing as an accident. Your mama, your daddy might have told you you was an accident, but mama and daddy lied to you. Can somebody say amen to that? There was a divine design and God has something special for this boy but 20 years later, he has failed to ever realize what his true potential is because he has self-defined as the failure, as the letdown, as the disappointment, as the drop. That's how he defined. Hey, Chad, bring me, bring me my stuff, man. Bring me my stuff. I want to help you out today. Hey, don't, no, 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 no. Keep it, keep it covered. 
because I, I want y'all to know, Sister Angela, this is the first time I've released this. This is the first time I released this. So, so what happened? Um, a couple, couple of months ago, a couple, a couple of months ago, a few months ago, uh, my wife and I we took the family to um, this spot where we were, we were painting um, different artifacts and uh, thingamajigs, and um, <laughs> there was a certain level of inspiration that fell upon me while I was sitting there on the stool, and I just don't know where it came from, but I'm just. Today is the day that I want to officially release what I believe I've been endowed with, and and. <laughs> Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, I present. Can I get a drum roll, somebody? Drum roll, drum roll. I'm releasing to you what I am calling. What should I call it? I'm calling it masterpiece. I am. Yes, yes. This is this is a um. This is a work that I did, and um, there's a sp particular signature. I I gave him Beats headphones. <laughs> just so you would know. And I need you guys, and this is what I plan to do. I'm actually going to sell this piece of art because, and, and watch, my motives are pure. I'm feeding the hungry. I have four hungry children. Greg, <laughs> Nathaniel, <laughs> Teresa, Charity, that live in my house, and I want to feed them. So I need your guys' help. W what do you think that this would be worth? What, what's the value? No, 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 no. Before, 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 you give your estimation. I, I just want to know. I want you to know what the competition is. This is the competition that I looked online, and this particular piece is worth 68 million. So, what do you guys think? I, I mean, just. I, I mean, I'm an humble man, so it doesn't have to be 68 million. It could be six million. I don't know. I don't understand the laughter. <laughs> I'm serious. Where, where's that picture you posted for Nathaniel? <laughs> now watch this. Picture to the left is 68 million. Before I even posted that, somebody said $20. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a gas. So, you know, bring it on. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> now, now, now watch this. Watch this. Let's, 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 let's be serious. <coughs> 68 million to the left, and so far $20. Now, before I, before I move on, anything other than 20, do I, do I, can I hear 25? Can I hear 100? 100? 100? One, one, where are 100 at? 100 right here. Um, 250. <laughs> Hungry children. <for. laughs> so, so watch this. Watch this. Yeah, help me with this, God. Um, so I, I got 100 on this, but 68 million. There is only two things that determine the difference between the value of this painting and the one that's there, and it's the what and the why. Number one, what are people actually willing to pay for it? Number two, why are they willing to give that much for it? If the willingness was there of what people were willing to pay, pay for this, it will be really right next to that one. Doesn't matter. I mean, because I mean, to that, to me, I mean that. I mean, I really could do that one right there. You know, what I'm you said no, you can't. Pass. Yes, I could. No, what's up to 100, babe? <laughs> you got to do 105. 
Here's the what and the why. It's the what and the why. It's acting up. It's the what and the why. Thank you. It's about the what and the why. What makes it more valuable is because what somebody is willing to give and then why they're willing to give it. And I'm telling you today, what made Mephibosheth valuable is what somebody was willing to do for him and then why. See, we as a culture, and, and I'm, I'm guilty of it with my children, I'm guilty, and I, and I feed into the pressure sometimes without realizing I'm feeding into it. Um, my, my children, they want these type of shoes, they want this type of gear, they want this type of phone. Um, like we, we gave my son an old iPhone 3 <laughs> for one of them, and he's like the happiest kid in the world. I mean, happy kid. Now imagine me giving Greg a four. He'd go into depression. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to make one shot on the court. He'd just fill in. No, no serious. Um, and, and I'm concerned, not just for my children, I'm concerned even for this church, sometimes even for myself, that we base our value on things that actually don't even matter in eternity. They, they actually don't even matter. But, but Pastor, it matters to me. Now, let, let's go ahead and weigh your, your, your little life. Let's weigh, let's weigh your little life. How long are you going to live? 60, 70, 80, 100? Let's, let's give you 100. You know what? I'm going to help you. Let's give you what my pain is worth. 105. <laughs> you live 105 years and compare that to eternity. That 105 years is actually nothing. And some of us are making decisions based on a temporary circumstance to make us feel good right now when that thing don't even matter. Next week, I'm going to highlight the Apostle Paul's testimony. Paul started naming all of his degrees. He started naming who he got trained under. He, got, he started naming all the languages that he speaks. He started naming all of these things that people look at and say, you somebody because of that. And he said, out of all of these things, I count them as nothing. Why? Because what I have with Jesus. So I like my car, but with or without the car, I'm still somebody. It's a clean blazer I, I dug out the closet. I really like this blazer. I really like this blazer. I really like this blazer. And I do not feel heal the Lord saying, give it to nobody today. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but with or without it, Still somebody. Yeah. I'm getting old now. I'm, I'm getting old. I'm, I'm in my 40s now. And like I can't wear like cute shoes like I used to. You know what I'm saying? Cute shoes. So I, I gotta I pay just a little bit more money, just a little bit more money for my shoes so they can be comfortable. So my back won't be hurting after I'm done preaching. Can somebody say amen to that? But with or without these shoes that I really like, they don't determine my value like my cell phone, really like my cell phone, it's very convenient, but with or without this cell phone. I really like being in this location right here with this Greg. If, if we had to go back to the South location, this don't define me. It does not define me. I heard God, my wife heard God concerning the team center 
and, and we are well on our way. I'm going to make an announcement later on in the next couple of weeks of all that, not just what you guys did, but the community support. I want to make sure that we hit a certain number, and I'm so excited about what God is doing. But watch this. Whether the community supported or not, it doesn't define who I am. I'm the pastor of a growing church, a loving people, but this title does not define who I am. And I'm telling you guys, some of you guys are in mental bondage right now because you have defined yourself not on who God says you are, but you have defined yourself based on what has or has not happened in your life. And it's time for you to free yourself because that's too much pressure, that's too much burden. Love to have my doctorate degree right now, but you know what? I'm somebody without it. And when I get it, I'll still be somebody. Watch this. If they happen to take it from me, when I do get it, that does not define who I am. Because my true value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for me, number one. Number two, why they're willing to pay it. So with all of your achievements and all of your stuff and stuff that other people applaud you for having, Jesus, I, I, I had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to stand next to a guy that I used to be. I had an opportunity to stand next to a guy that I used to be, and this is the guy who I used to be, because God has gifted me with a particular skill set when it comes to ministering the word of God, I have stood next to people that have more than I have ministry and thinking because I have a particular trait that they don't have, I ought to have what they have. And I had an opportunity to stand next to a young man a couple of weeks ago who had that same arrogant mindset about me because he could preach me under the table, hands down. But what he don't realize it wasn't just preaching that got me here. It really was the hand of God. And the reason I believe that God has given me this thus far, and he's going to give me more, is because I keep reminding myself, and he keeps to help me. He helps me to keep reminded that out of everything that I give you, none of it actually defines who you are. We have too many believers that are actually losing their minds. They're going crazy, in depression, suicide, because the definition of who themselves hang on something that's faulty, something that can shake, something, something that can break. And God says, stop hanging who you are on stuff that can disappoint you. I, I, God, help me. I, 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 watch this. Watch this. Let me, let me go to an extreme. Let me go to extreme. I have no plans to ever, 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 ever leave this woman here. She is who God. I heard God say that Irene is your real. But watch this. If, if the devil shows up and do something ridiculous and calls a separation here, I can only recover because my definition is not in this. My definition is in my identity has to be hinged 
on what God was willing to pay for me and the reason he was willing to pay it. And what he paid was the most precious gift commodity that he could give his only begotten son. God did what some theologians consider to be the impossible in order to save humanity. And that is the Father, Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Some say he really didn't forsake him, but, but understand, in order for humanity to be redeemed, then the perfect Savior had to experience everything that humanity went through. And humanity went through God having to turn his back on humanity because of their sin. So when he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Father literally has to turn his back on the Son. And complete darkness covers the earth because there is a separation for the first time in eternity ever. Because the Father was willing to give and pay the ultimate sacrifice for you. That's, that's what he did. The question is why. Romans 8.35 gives us the, the why. The scripture says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? or in danger or threatened with, with death, he's trying to paint the picture that just because somebody dropped you doesn't mean I don't love you. He's going to say later that I'm the one who works everything together for your good. You, 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 don't, you don't understand. I asked God years ago because... There's, there's certain things there's certain things that happen and I wanted to know why did that have to happen and, and God speaks to me years ago and it was such a tender voice and he says that there's nothing that has happened to you that I hadn't already calculated to see how I can work that together for your good so it's real simple the father says if it wasn't going to end in good I wouldn't have let that happen but because I saw how I can get glory out of it I did allow that one to 37 says, no, despite, somebody shout despite. despite. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Why? Through Christ who loved us. What was he willing to pay? The ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because of the great love that he has. 38 says, and I am convinced that, somebody shout nothing. <laughs> now, now you got to embrace this. This, this, is, this is what I love. I, I was so excited about week number 10 with Freedom talking about spiritual warfare. And it is a, it's an amazing thing to experience to have something broken off of you. And, and watch this. You, you can have somebody to lay hands on you or you can simply just close the door yourself and tell the devil to go in the name of Jesus. But watch this. You can have the devil off your back. But if you, sir, ma'am, don't come out of Lodovar yourself. And choose not to stay in a place that God told me this is not who I am. So if, I, if this is not who I am, I should not be living in a place that's called it is what it is. 
Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Watch this. Death can't. Life. Angels can't. Let a devil show up if he wants to. Demons can't separate. Neither our fears. I'm afraid. Oh, it's okay. But your fears don't stop God's love. Fears of today. This is so good. Nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 39 says, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will, somebody shall ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. So here's my experience as a believer. I know what it's like to have somebody drop me, and because I was dropped, I became lame in a particular area in my life, and I allowed that lameness in that event to define who I was, and it literally hindered me from grabbing all that God had in store for me because I didn't, I didn't think I deserved that level of blessing because how I saw myself. I know what that's like. I also know what it's like to do something I just had no business doing. That, that was just real, real dumb. And, and trying to come out of it and trying to recover and, and God, I'm sorry, God, God, forgive me, God, I'm sorry. God, do you believe he forgave you? I do believe he forgave me, but really hadn't forgiven myself. And so the way I punish myself, I punish myself is I keep this low expectation of where, who I think I am when God says, but despite your fault. Do you know how God sees you? He sees you the same way the rest of the court sees Mephibosheth sitting at the table erect with the rest of the king's sons with his legs covered by a cloth. So just looking at him, you can't tell which one is his actual son or not because from here up, they all look the same. And from here down, everything is... Everything is covered. So years ago, my son Greg Jr., he was maybe two or three years old, two or three years old. And um, I was very, very upset with myself, very disappointed in myself. And um, I said something that was very, very out of character um, to people I love. Very, very out of character. And... Um, It was one Saturday morning, about six or seven o'clock in the morning. And at this time, Greg was sleeping in his own, own room. And, and I'm sitting on the couch, man, just soaking, just upset. I, I repented. I, I repented. I apologized to the people I offended. And, and, but now it's just me and God. And uh, I'm saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. How many know what it's like to apologize to God 5,000 times? I'm done, Chris. And I, and I, God, I'm sorry. But watch, I just, I just felt so low. And I'll never forget this. Six or seven o'clock in the morning. Greg is like, he had to be, it was 
younger than two, possibly, because I see him coming out the room and he was stumbling. And he was headed to my room and he was. Yeah, so it must have been younger than two because he was just walking. And he stumbled past, he didn't even see me, but he just stumbled past me, going into the room where he thought I was. And I heard the Spirit of God say this to me. He says, if your son fell, what would you do? I told God I'd pick him up. And God speaks to me and he says, that's what I'm doing for you. picking you up. Do you know why I'm picking you up? Because you fail, but you not the fall. And God is talking to somebody in this place who's struggling with past failures, past events, past stumbles. And you know what? I rebuke the spirit of suicide right now. I curse, I curse I curse the assignment of the enemy over your life now. <laughs> that spirit has to go, but you got to choose to come out. Watch this, watch this. I really do believe that it's a demon because I've heard him speak to me. I do, I really do believe it's a demon that speaks and says, Watch this. Before he ever tells you to take your life, he tells you other lies about who you are because of what you did and who you are because of what happens to you. And when you fully embrace that you are stupid, that you are ugly, that nobody loves you, that nobody cares about you, that you ain't nothing and you probably gonna never, as soon as you embrace that, that is the setup now for the ultimate. You ought to take your life. So this part right here of rebuking the devil, that's actually the easy part because anybody with spiritual authority and power by the Holy Spirit has authority over him. So when I tell him to go, he gotta go now. What's gonna be the challenge is asking you are you actually ready to come out of Lodabar? Are, are, are you actually ready? Because I can't and God won't violate the will of a man. And there are sometimes people gonna stay in the self in a pity party, maybe the rest of their lives feeling bad about what happened when God says, I got so much more that I want you to do, sir. Ma'am, I got so much more that I want you to have. But I can't give you this with a mind like that. I need you. I need you to elevate yourself to where I said you can sit. Went, went, to, a, went to a special event a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's, it's just my custom when I walk in. I, I said, I just take the lower seat if it's out here or whatever. I ain't never trying to get in the pulpit or be seen or whatever. But as soon as I walk in the building, the lady who was over the program, she says, Pastor. And she set me right at the top here. And so I just, I just came and I sat there. 
And I had these other folk around me looking like, who, who is this dude? How you get up there? She told me this was my seat. So because she told me this was my seat, I don't know you an explanation. And watch this. I don't have to let the devil fight my mind whether I should be here or not because I was told. If she would have told me to sit right there, I would have sat right there. But she the one put me right there. This show program, if you say I need to be right there, I'm going to sit right. God is saying your seat is here. I can't make you sit there. But I sure want you to sit. I, 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 can't, I can't make you. I can't, I can't make you. But I do want you to know well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, there are just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted your life in any way and you'd love to help us to continue to impact the lives of others, go to our website, empowerthecity.org and select Give Now. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.